Well, how we doing, church? Doing good? You look good. I love this time of year, right? Sun comes out, people go to the beach, all the white people start changing color. Don't you love this time of year? It's great, isn't it? All right, grab your Bibles, if you will, and go to First uh, Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, you go to Acts, and then go to the right of Acts for a little while, and you will find First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 6. We are in week two of a seven-week series called The Seven Deadly Sins. We're in this season of Lent where we're praying and fasting and giving, and, um, and over this season of Lent to prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday, we're studying um, what's known as the seven deadly sins. Now, one thing that I want to point out, though, is that um, the seven deadly sins aren't like listed in the back of your Bible in one category. Uh, it's just a category of sins that some of the church fathers said, these are ones that people struggle with immensely. All sins are deadly. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So these sins aren't any worse than any other sin. Um, it just reminds me of a 20th century theologian, Coach Bull Lee, that used to tell me, if you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. And these seven areas are some of the slipperiest places among us all. Now, last week we talked about wrath or anger or bitterness. And the thing about last week's sin was this, is that it's easily identifiable, that most of us in the room that have an anger problem don't have a problem saying, I got an anger problem, right? Uh, I'm driving down JTB and I want to kill the people in front of me or my kids just make me go crazy and I'm screaming in line at Walmart. And we identify it pretty easily, but the problem with last week's is it's easy to identify an anger problem or if you're a Christian, you're just frustrated, but it's really the same thing, okay? And so we, it's easy to identify, but it's really hard to do the work of canceling the debt owed you. The people sin against you, and, and in order to forgive them, that's, the, that's the, the, the weapon against wrath or bitterness. It's easy to identify. It's really hard to do the work of, of creating that debt ledger, if you were here last week, and canceling that debt. Now, what we're going to talk about this week, here's, here's the deal. It's really, really hard to identify. It's easy to do something about once you identify yourself as a greedy person, but I don't know anybody that thinks they're greedy. I don't. I'll, if you say to somebody, you're greedy, they'll go, no, 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 I'm not greedy. I just like nice things. Well, who doesn't like nice things, all right? Even the most redneck among my family, they think their wine in the box is better than your wine in the box. They think it's so nice, you know, whatever it is. Or you begin to justify it and say, well, I've earned this or I deserve this or whatever it is. I've never, in 21 years of ministry, never had one person come into my office and say, Pastor, you know what my problem is? I'm greedy. Now, we can see it in other people. Right? Don't you know about 25 greedy people? Don't elbow your wife right now. Now is not the time, all right? So what I need you to try to do is not think of this sermon as it relates to all the greedy people in your life, but that you might actually be the person that needs to hear this. And we're going to talk about how you move from, from greed to generosity. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 6. What's going on here is the Apostle Paul, you remember we studied him for a lot in Acts. He's planting churches all over the place, and he's raising up this young pastor named Timothy. And so in First and Second Timothy, there are two letters kind of towards the back of the Bible. This is the Apostle Paul training up this young pastor. And so when you get to First Timothy 6, the context is, hey, Timothy, keep your eyes open because there's going to be people that teach false doctrine or there's going to be false teachers that try to infiltrate your church. And so one of the things he's talking about in verses 1 through 5 is this, that there are going to be certain teachers of the word of God, and they try to manipulate godliness for their own gain. That, that there will be men that come along, and they will try to twist the word of God in such a way, not to glorify Jesus and serve the kingdom, but to really serve themselves. And so they're, they're, they try to um, manipulate godliness for their own gain. They're trying to make bank off the Bible. Sound familiar? So it was happening back then too. And so in that kind of context, then Paul picks up in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. It says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So in other words, Timothy, you don't try to use God to get cash and prizes. You don't try to use God or your Christianity to try to, to, try to prosper, but Jesus in himself, he is the prize. That it's not like if you pray the right prayer and you attend church enough and you don't do enough bad stuff and then you pull the lever and then he owes you cash and prizes. But those things are temporary and Jesus in and of himself is the prize. 
So godliness with contentment is great gain. Because if you try to think that your godliness is great gain, that God owes you because you're such a good Christian, therefore he owes you the raise, he owes you the promotion, he owes you health, then what essentially begins to happen is you're the Lord of your life and he's your do boy. And you take the temporary things of this world and treat them as if they are eternal and God better get on your list and start answering your prayers. And that's the opposite of lordship. What it means to be a Christian is that you've surrendered your life to the lordship of Christ. And he in and of himself is more than enough. We say it here over and over and over that we don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. It's kind of the context that the apostle Paul is setting up here. Then he goes to verse seven. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. My daddy used to misquote this all the time. He'd say, boy, the Bible says I brought you in this world, I take you out. I go, um, daddy, actually, that was Bill Cosby. Uh, <laughs> the Bible says we brought nothing into this world, we can't take anything out of this world. And we all know this to be true, right? You've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. Why? Because it doesn't need to carry a U-Haul. Because it would be ridiculous that everybody's gonna spend forever somewhere and you were born into this world with nothing and you're gonna go out of this world with nothing. And so what Paul's trying to do here is give us a little bit of context that why would we invest all that we have in this world when this world is so temporary? And we all believe that cognitively. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the statistics, but the death rate in America is hovering right around 100% right now, okay? that we're all gonna die, all of us. That, that one day we're gonna, you know, you're gonna die and all your friends are gonna take off work and come to the church, they're gonna dig a hole, put you in it, throw dirt in your face, come back here, eat potato salad and talk about how good you look. That's what's gonna happen. And you know what you're gonna take with you? Nothing, nothing. I don't care what they dress you up in and all of that, you're taking nothing with you. And so all of these things that capture our attention, all of these earthly things that capture our attention, no matter how nice they are, I mean, the clothes that you worked so hard to get into, those favorite shiny things, that car that you worked so hard to buy one day and drive around, you think you're so cool, all right? All of those things, those pants, when you put them on, it makes you do like an owl, you know, turn all the way around and check everything out, okay? All of those things, your golf clubs, one day, some cat you've never met before is gonna be playing golf, not even that well, with your golf clubs. Can you believe that? Everything you have one day, they're gonna put in a big pile and they're gonna sell it in a garage sale. Your daughter is gonna look through this and go, can you believe mama used to wear mom jeans? This is ridiculous, all right? And they're gonna sell your jeans that you're wearing right now for $2. That's it. You feel encouraged? Now, if you're really, really rich, I mean, if you're really, really wealthy, then, then they're gonna do it in an estate sale. But it's the same thing. It's just nicer junk. That's the only difference. So what Paul is saying is, therefore, it, since, since we were created for eternity, then you've gotta understand, why would you invest so much into the temporary things of this world? Verse eight. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. Um, I would cry too, because I'm going to tell you, <laughs> it's really not, I mean, it's true, but none of us really believe that. Would you really be content with just food and clothes? I know we'd want to be, but, but here, here, here's the problem. Um, greed is when you want more, when more than enough is still not satisfying. Do you get that? Greed is when you're not content with more than enough. We already have more than enough. I mean, we already have more than enough clothes, don't we? I know some of you walked in a house within your house this morning just for your clothes. You walked in a house within your house called your walk-in closet. And it's like a three-story house just for your clothes. You got a basement with shoes, and then you got a first floor with a certain amount of clothes on it, and then you got an upstairs for your clothes, and then you got an attic with some other clothes. You got like a four-story home just for your clothes. And some of you, some of you were in that house for your house just for your clothes, looking at four stories worth of clothes, and you said, I don't have anything to wear. And then your husband, bless his heart, looked and he's like, baby, I'm gonna help you. Why don't you wear that? And you said, you know what? I, I can't wear that. That's out of season. And he went, what? I thought deer and turkey had seasons. I didn't know pants had seasons, okay? You see, um, if, you, 
if more than enough isn't satisfying now, then greed is wanting more when we're not even content with more than enough now. And let me just ask you this, church. Don't answer out loud. You're telling yourself, are you content? I mean, are you really content? Can you imagine what just deep contentment at a soul level would feel like? Can you imagine just walking into whatever your favorite store is, okay, that have all your favorite things? And everybody here likes to shop for something, all right? I hate going to the mall, but, man, you cut me loose in the hunting section of Academy, and all of a sudden I go, I like to shop. And I see those things, and I think, I didn't even know I needed that until I saw it, and I don't know how I'll live without it. But imagine walking into those arenas and seeing all of those things and even having money to buy whatever you want, but just at the deep soul level going, you know what, I'm good. Or walking in your home this afternoon, whether it's a big one or a little one, or you know, you live in a big mansion on the beach, or, or you're in college and you're sharing your room with like nine other people and you all share a futon and one fork, okay, like that. <laughs> but whatever it is, that you would walk in that place and you would just feel totally content that I've got food, I got clothes, I got Jesus, and that's more than enough. Any of you that have ever been on a mission trip have had some kind of encounter with that. You see, because we all go, we go on the mission trip, and we show up, and then we go to somebody's house, and you're in Panama or Costa Rica or Brazil or Uganda or Jamaica or wherever it is, and you'll walk into somebody's house, and it's just like a mom and maybe a dad and a bunch of kids, I mean, a ton of kids, and they've got almost nothing they got dirt walls, literally, mud walls, a tin roof, satellite TV. I don't know why. There's satellite TV everywhere. So they got mud house and soccer games. And so, and at first, when you pull up to the place and you look at it, you start feeling sorry for them. Oh, man, how do these people even live like this? And then you spend a little bit of time with, it, with them, and you go, oh, no, they are actually living out, verse 8, that they barely have food and clothing, and with this, they are content, and somehow you're strangely jealous of them. You say, how did they have barely enough to survive, but they have Jesus and he's more than enough and I've got more than I could even, even consume in my whole life and yet I don't have the contentment that they have. Can you imagine if this was true about you, but if we had food and clothing with these, we will be content, verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. But those who desire to be rich, let me ask you this, don't answer it, but do you desire to be rich? All right, if I tell you something, promise don't tell anybody. I desire to be rich. I mean, I do. Who doesn't want to be rich, right? I do. Now, you'll find out in a little while we're already rich, but richer is fine with me too, like, I will, I pray to God, Lord, bless us or break us, whatever it takes to draw us to you. But for me, let's go with the blessing, okay? Let's just do it that way. And I will demonstrate how glorious you are by all of your rich blessings unto me. Now, the Bible doesn't say desiring to be rich is a problem. It just says if you desire to be rich, you're going to have a lot of problems. You're going to have specific kind of rich people problems. You see, you and I have grown up and been taught that we're supposed to support to, to pursue the American dream. And I think it's very, very dangerous. Now, I'm pro-America. Go red, white, and blue. I hope we win the Olympics as long as they have Olympics, all right? Best country ever, yes and amen. Like what Pastor Ben was talking about earlier, the fact that we get to, to worship in here in freedom. Praise God. And the pursuit of life, amen. The pursuit of liberty, yes. The pursuit of happiness, you've got to be kidding me. It sure does seem like a temporary and selfish pursuit, does it not? Especially if you define happiness as gathering all the shiny things of this world around you. And so if you desire to be rich, then you've just got to um, be ready for certain temptations that are going to come your way. Because the, the problem with the American dream, the problem with the desire to be rich, is there's several things. Is that... First of all, if you desire to be rich, it could cloud your judgment. You see, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters, for he will despise one and be devoted to the other one. No one can serve both God and money. Of all the things that Jesus chose to say is the number one competitor for your heart, did you know it's money? Why? Because it can cloud your judgment. You know how I'll know if you're, if you're serving money instead of God? 
Um, if you ever stand in the line for Disney and they say, how old are your children? And you go, well, how old do they have to be to get in free? Four and under? Uh, he's four. Really? He shaves. No, I'm serious. He's four. In that moment, what you've done is you're saving your $90 or $85 has become more important than your integrity. You see, that's what can begin to happen. It can begin to cloud your judgment. The second thing that can happen when you desire to be rich is it can cause you to conform to the pattern of this world. That it can cause you to conform to the pattern of this world. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And instead of you thinking that more is mine, because that's what happens when you're conformed to the pattern of this world. You say, well, people that are in our income bracket, this is the kind of house we live in, this is the kind of cars we drive, this is what we do with our money, this is where we travel, this is where we eat, as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm going to be content at a lower level so that I can invest more towards the kingdom of God, that you can begin to get conformed to the pattern of this world. The other thing is that money competes with the throne of your heart. Do you know that Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, not the other way around. Not where your heart's head and that's where you put your money. The best example I've ever heard of this is Pastor Jerry Sweat at Beach UMC who launched us here, my pastor. Pastor Jerry Sweat grew up a Gator fan, all right? And, and, and I know some of you are Gator fans. Yeah, you can move. It's basketball season. You don't have something to cheer about, okay? So just, that's good. No, you should be. Y'all are awesome. Um, so he grew up, so I can't help it. He grew up a Gator fan. Loved the Gators, loved the Gators, loved the Gators. Then what happened, all three of his children went to Florida State. Right on time, right? They chose, that was a good move right there at the end, okay? And so they all choose to go to Florida State. And so then what happened, Pastor Jerry goes from a Florida fan to a Florida State fan. Why? Because he had to pay the bill for all of his kids. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so his treasure was going to Tallahassee. And so his heart moved from Gainesville to Tallahassee. You see how that works? Where you put your money, Jesus said that your heart will follow. And so he's, Paul is warning Timothy, he's warning him, that if you desire to be rich, heads up, okay, there are special rich people temptations that you've got to look out for. Verse 10, another very misquoted verse. It says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, it doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil um, or that money is the root of evil. That money is actually, money's neutral. Money's neutral. Um, It can grab a hold of you and become an idol, or you can grab a hold of it and build the kingdom of God. But when you love money, then it's the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, would anybody disagree with that? Would anybody disagree with that? I mean, don't we all, do you guys know some rich people? Anybody know rich people? Do you? All right. Any of you know rich people and you think, man, I'd be a much better rich person than you. I do. I think it all the time. Every time I see VH1 behind the music, I think, I would do so much better with that money than you do. How many VH1 behind the music do you have to watch to get that the cash and prizes of this world are not enough to satisfy? On the way home from uh, one of my trips in January on the airplane, I watched, um, I watched a movie called Chasing Madoff that, that kind of walked through the story of Bernie Madoff, the guy that was, um, had a Ponzi scheme with, with Wall Street. And so it, just because of corruption and greed, he set up this Ponzi scheme, took money from all of these people. And folks, um, by the time it was all said and done, when he finally went to prison, uh, he had made $17 billion dollars. billion. Now, I don't know if you know about that whole story, but as I'm watching it early on, I begin to say, why in the world do you think you need $17 billion? Why not just hit pause when you're at like $1 billion? And then you could have got away with the whole thing, but it was your greed, it was your greed, it was your greed that kept you going. If I had a billion dollars, I'm telling you, that would be more than enough for me. Why do you think you need so much more? Or if you'll remember when the whole Enron scandal came out, right? And you would look at those executives and think, how could you be so greedy? If I was as rich as you, I wouldn't have needed the more. I would have been totally okay with like that first level of rich that you were. I don't think I would have lied or cheated or stolen to try to get to that next level of rich. Why? Was that not enough? How much is enough? But can I just tell you this? You know your compassion kids probably think the same thing about you. If we could get your compassion kids to go walk around your house 
And then, and then you tell them how, you know, um, what we plan to do is, um, see all these appliances here? Oh, uh-huh, they're nice, under, yeah, and they all work, right? And we're going to take them all out, and we're going to put new ones in that work. I think, now, we all do that, don't we? I, we do that too. But I think your compassion get, we go, huh? You're going to do what? Yeah, come on. Hey, hop in the car with me, Compassion Kid. We need to go to Verizon. Why? Because i got to upgrade my phone. What does that mean? All right, I'm going to go stand in line with my iPhone that works. And it's only a five, but, you know, there's like an S or something. I don't know what it does, but it's better. And so I'm going to get in line, and I'm going to give them my phone and money, and then they're going to give me another phone that works. Well, what's wrong with this one? No, no, I don't think you understand. I think that sometimes our Compassion Kids might look at us the same way. That they would say, gosh, I, I think if I had all of that, I, I wouldn't even be thinking more. Or so, just imagine, what if you could bring all, or if I could bring all my compassion kids. I got seven, all right? And if I just said, you know, sit out and all skate. Hey, sleep over at my house. Come on. All of you, all seven of you, be like a little United Nations around our table. You know, come on in. Let's all gather around my house. Red and yellow, black and white. We're all precious in his sight. Come on, here we are. All right. Gather around, children. And then if I were to take them into JP's room, and they'd just see all the toys, and then I would say, JP, what do you want this year for Christmas or your birthday? And he would say, I think I want more toys that I bought him. And you did too. Some of you bought him toys too. Thank you. So I think, don't you think the compassion gives go, I think this is enough toys to last my entire village for our entire lives. How could you even want more? Or if I were to get the compassion parents, say, okay, compassion parents, come on. All of you, come on, gather around my house. All right, it's Saturday. It's chore day. We got some work to do. What do we need to do? we got to clean out my garage. What's a garage? Well, okay, so I've got a house for me, and then I've also got a house for my cars. We call it the garage because we don't want our cars to have to sit out in the Florida weather. That would be awful, right? Sometimes it can get below 40. It's a ridiculous deal. So I bought a house to put my, to put my cars in. And then we would go out in the garage, and there'd be stuff all in the garage. And go, so here's the problem. Um, I can't fit all of my stuff in the, my house. So I had to take my stuff that wouldn't fit in my house and I put it, had to put it in my car's house. And now my cars are homeless because my stuff is taking up their house. So what I've done is I've got a third house now called a storage unit. And so if you can help me get all of my stuff together so my cars don't have to be homeless and I can put it in our third house, the storage unit, I would really appreciate your help. I think our compassion families would think, when is it ever going to be enough? I think I might be a better rich person than you. You see, it's tough being rich, isn't it? There's a whole different level of temptation that we can fall into. And so he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God. And remember, he's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, whenever you come against this temptation to desire to be rich... Or if you ever feel yourself being tugged towards, not money, but a love of money, here's what you do. Flee these things. Now, when I was studying this text to share with us today, I was surprised to see the word flee. You know why? Because I I forgot or didn't know it was in there. Because the only place I really knew about the word flee was in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I teach on this often, is that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Therefore, honor God with your body. And he says, flee sexual immorality. You don't flirt with sexual temptation. You run for from it. And so I've taught on this all the time. If you ever feel tempted sexually, then your job is to turn and flee. If you, if you see the devil, you're supposed to stand firm against the devil. You're supposed to run from the short skirt. That's how that works, okay? That's the power difference there. Now, this other place that this word shows up is here in regards to the temptation around money. Fellas, you know what that means? The Bible says you're supposed to flee two things, money and honeys. That's it. You run like Forrest Gump ran. You don't stop until they come find you, all right? That that's how big a deal this is. Now, in the Bible, when you run from something, you have to run to something. You don't just run aimlessly. But you run from, from this temptation and you run to something else. So Timothy could ask, okay, Paul, mentor, how do I flee from the temptation of discontentment or the temptation of greed? And so Paul's going to tell him, all right, when you run away from the temptation of greed, here's what you're going to run to. He says, pursue righteousness and godliness 
and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, I want you to flee from this temptation and I want you to flee to Jesus. And then Paul is going to, as he's given this instruction, he's going to get caught up in his own instruction. Check this out. He says, I charge you in the presence of God whom give, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the com- commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. So what Paul does is he says, all right, Timothy, as a preacher, you're gonna deal with this money thing. And when you preach to rich people, there's certain things that you're gonna tell them and you gotta be careful. Because, because the hooks of this world can get in you and you think that you're grabbing on to, to own things and then they can begin to own you. So before you get there, man, don't flirt with that. You better flee. Where do I go, Paul? Well, you gotta run to Jesus. And then he starts talking about Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the only one that offers life and eternal life and all power and dominion are him, his, and he gets all caught up in himself. And then at the end here, he starts preaching. He who is blessed and sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. And then he's like, ooh, glory, where am I at? He gets all just caught up, you know? And then he says, look, right here in the text. And then he goes, amen. He just started preaching. So what he does is he actually does his instructions to Timothy. He says, if you want to flee from greed, then what you got to do is you got to run to Jesus. Because he's the only hope. He's the only source of hope. He's the only thing that satisfies. He's the only thing that's eternal. He's the only thing that's more than enough. And so if you want to flee, I'm going to tell you now, it's about running to Jesus because he's the only one that can satisfy your soul. He's the only one that can give you that deep contentment. And then he says, amen. And then Paul kind of says, all right, now where was I? Like I got all caught up in preaching about Jesus. I forget, what were we talking about, Timothy? And Timothy's essentially saying, well, you remember you were telling me about um, godliness with contentment is great gain. You were warning me about about the desires of being wealthy. You were warning me about the love of money. And then we pick it up in 17. He goes, oh, okay, okay. I was talking about rich people. And then here's what he says. It says, as for the rich at this present age, charge them. Now, let me just time out here and tell you a couple things. So essentially what Paul's saying here is like, Timothy, as a preacher, you're going to talk to rich people sometimes. And whenever you talk to rich people, here's what you tell them. Now, a couple of things. I am going to talk about how to move from from greed to generosity, and then I'm going to ask you for nothing. This is not a setup for some kind of special offering at the end of the service, okay? This is just so you can avoid the sin of greed and so that you can live in the freedom of generosity. And so he says, whenever you talk to rich people, this is what you say. So in verse 17, as for the rich. Now, what happens here is most of us read this verse and think, whoo, well, I'm not rich, so this is talking about somebody else. Because the problem is, We don't feel rich, do we? And nobody's ever told us where the rich line is. Can you imagine if there was a line and you knew when you crossed it? Like you were on this side of rich, and then you got a paycheck, and you were like, we're rich. And you called your wife and said, hey, babe, you're married to a rich man now. Just based on that last paycheck, that put us over the line, and now we're rich. But the problem is you don't feel rich. No matter how much you make, if you're not content, then you just want to make more. And if you're greedy then your ideal salary is not a number, it's more. And so can I tell you the richest I've ever felt? Ever. When I was a youth pastor in seminary, I had a part-time job at a church, a really small church. They paid me $12,500. That was fine. I was rocking it on my twelve five, right? About nine of us shared an apartment together and lived on a beanbag and ate, you know, beanie weenies every day. It was fine. And then when I got out of seminary and I got my first full-time job, I go and I interview and they offer me the job. The pastor offers me the job. 
And I accepted it, and he said to me, do you want to know how much money you make? And I went, that's fine, but, you know, I can live for like a month with a can opener. I am single and don't need much. And he said, we're going to pay you $31,000 a year. And I thought, "Woo, $31,000? I literally looked at him and said, what am I going to do with all that money? Because I had twelve five accounted for, and now we're going to thirty one. That's the richest day of my life. That's the most rich I have ever felt in my entire life. I was driving back, you know, after my interview. I called my friends. I was like, meet me at Mickey D's, baby. It is on me. Line up. You can supersize it. You get whatever you want. You can even get the little pie at the end that they offer, all right? Nobody asked for it, but you can get it. Why? Because I, I just, in that moment, I felt rich. And then what happened? I began to consume all I had, and I didn't feel rich anymore. And so the problem is a lot of times we don't feel rich. But when the Bible says, command those who are rich, it's talking to rich people. And I believe most of us in this room, most of you are probably rich. And and here's what I mean. If you drove here today in a car, you're you're one of the top three wealthiest, three percent of the wealthiest people in the world. Do you believe that? If you own a car, you're in the top three percent of the wealthiest people in the world. Or check this out. If you make $33,000 a year, got that? $33,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. See, that's good news, isn't it? Good news. Most of you in this room are rich. And I didn't see any of you just bow up and be like, woohoo, I'm rich. Or you, or you get out of church today and people are like, why are you in such a good mood? I found out today we're rich. I told you, baby, I've been knocking it down. Booyah, 33K. What you know about that? Rich, top 1%. Ha! But it's true. But there's something about, about being rich that nobody really wants to claim it, right? But if you, were, if you were tall, did you know if you're six foot five, you're in the top 1% of tallest people in the world? And if I were to walk up to you and go, man, you're really tall, you wouldn't go, no, I'm not. I'm just six five. You'd be like, I know. See, I'm five foot nine. It's still above average, all right? Except in the sanctuary, I'm six foot one. So thank you very much. Ta-da. I always wanted to be six foot tall. Now I finally am. And so if you were six foot five in the top 1% of tallest people in the world, and people said, wow, you're really tall, you wouldn't deny it. You'd say, yeah, sure I am, if you're in the top 1%. And so if you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world, I got good news for you. You're rich. Also got bad news for you. You're rich. And the Bible says it's hard for a rich man to go to heaven. It's easier for um, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So all you smokers, when you get home today, get your camel and try to get it through there. It's hard. It is. But nothing's impossible for God. So good news, rich people. Did you know we can be saved too? So that's good news for us. And so what, what Paul is going to do here is Paul is now going to say, Timothy, when you're preaching to rich people, here's what you need to say. And so as a pastor... Um, then every time I'm preaching to rich people, here's some things that rich people need to know. Let me tell you first and foremost is that you don't feel guilty for being rich. Absolutely not. You don't have to feel guilty for it. Nowhere in the text is it ever going to say, don't be rich. In fact, it's going to say the exact opposite. It's going to say, be rich. Now, there's a, there's a way to be rich that can ruin your life and eternity, and there's another way to be rich that is God-glorifying and freeing. And so that's the kind of rich that we want to be. So now what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to give five bullet points, which is great because rich people like bullet points because they've got stuff to do and meetings to go to and money to make and places to you know, be. And so they don't want stories. They want bullet points. And so he's going to give five bullet points to rich people. So as for the rich, that's the majority of people in this room. Or here's another way to think about it. If you're not rich yet, then one day you might be rich. And so this is how to be rich. This is how to be good at being rich. And so he says, as for the rich in this present age, number one, not to be haughty. So charge them not to be haughty. So the first thing, if you're rich, is don't be proud. Don't be proud. You are not a self-made man. That God had a lot to do with it. Now, I'm not saying you didn't work hard. And I'm not saying you didn't study hard. And I'm not saying while everybody else was taking shortcuts, you were steady plotting. And I'm not saying that you, that you haven't invested well. Yes and amen. All of that hard work and wise investment and living on less than, than your means for a season, right? All of those are very, very biblical values, yes and amen. 
But don't think that you're a self-made man like you did this all by yourself. The brain that you've been given, you didn't get to choose it. God gave you that as a gift. The country that you were born in that has the opportunities that you have, you didn't get to choose it. God gave you that. The parents that, the parents that made education a big deal in your world, God chose that for you. And so for you to bow up as if you did it yourself. Now, I, again, you did your part, but it was God's blessings that made those deals come through and those promotions come through and those educational opportunities come through and those relationships you had that turned lucrative later on. You've got to, you've got to have an attitude of gratitude and not an attitude of pride and haughtiness. Do you know what it looks like when you think you're really somebody and you don't give God his credit? It's like... Um, it's like the 17-year-old kid driving his mom's Porsche to prom. No adult pulls up to the stoplight, looks over and sees a 17-year-old in a very expensive car that somebody else paid for and goes, man, he must be very industrious. <laughs> no. He is smart. I bet his paper route is amazing. Wow. <laughs> Way to go, kid. No. We look at that kid and we all go, you're a punk. All right? You're a punk. <laughs> Just because we're jealous, that's all. We know that you didn't buy that, somebody else bought that, and so you don't get to act awesome in it for that one night at prom. No. You just be thankful that your parents let you drive it. In the same way, I think heaven might look at us when we take too much credit for our successes here and don't have the appropriate um, gratefulness to an almighty God that has blessed us like crazy. So first and foremost, if you're rich, you don't apologize for being rich, but, but you're not pr- prideful about it. So he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, one, don't be proud. Number two, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do you know that, that if you misplace your hope, that's a major problem. So the first thing is don't be proud. The second one is don't misplace your hope because riches are so uncertain, aren't they? I mean, were we around in 2008 and 2009? You know, that was the best time to preach this. I would just read this verse in 2008. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches and just pause and look at people. And everybody with a portfolio or that owned a home was like, wow, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's been there a long time. I bought a house in 2005, and everybody told me, man, you're going to make money on this house. It's going to be awesome. It's going to work just like this. You're going to invest it in 05, and like 2010, you'll be able to sell it. you make a ton of money, down payment on your next one, and you're all done. Well, we sold it last year for less than we bought it for. Wasn't that a great deal there? Wow, why? Because riches are uncertain. Now, let me tell you what that does mean. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to invest. You need to make wise investments. Wise investments. In fact, the Bible in Proverbs, it says that you are supposed to invest your blessing so well that your children's children's benefit from your wise investment. So I'm not saying don't make wise investments. I'm saying you don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Because what dollars do is dollars make promises that they cannot fulfill. Like dollars cannot buy your happiness. So you get all, whatever you want, get that outfit, get that watch, get whatever that shiny thing is of this world. You get it, and then let someone break your heart, and there's no money in the world that can fix it. So what I want to make sure is that you don't have like a full closet and no peace in your heart. Or money, um, money promises security. Well, go ahead, fully fund your 401k. You should fully fund it, but you get one phone call from the doctor. And all that safety and security is right out of the window. And there's no money in the world that can do anything about that. So again, money is not an evil thing. Not, not at all. We'll talk about that in the next one. But if you put your hope there, then it's a major problem. Because then, you, well, because you take the temporary things of this world and you treat them as if they're eternal. And the only legitimate source of hope is Jesus. The only legitimate source of hope is Jesus. So number one is don't be proud. Number two is do not misplace your hope. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them. Don't be proud. Don't misplace your hope. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So you know what number three is? Enjoy. That God has richly blessed us and that we're supposed to enjoy it. Can I get an amen? Amen. That God gives you things, material blessings and financial blessings, and we should enjoy it. 
So if you're a rich person, if you're in that top 1% and you're a rich person and you're not enjoying the blessings that God has given you, then you've lost sight that we serve a good dad who likes to give good gifts to his kids. Look, I'm a good dad and I love to give good gifts to my kids. The problem is, is if those gifts get in the way of me and my kids, then I'll withhold those gifts because that wouldn't be a good gift. Sometimes God withholds financial blessing from you because why in the world would he fuel your idolatry? He doesn't want to do that. But oftentimes what happens when you talk about money is that preachers can go in one of two extremes and neither of them are the gospel. One's called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says, if you do your part, then God owes you. I mean, if you say the right prayers and you sow into a ministry and you um, live right, then God owes you cash and prizes. When you do that, you make the cash and prizes your God and you're not actually worshiping God. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it's a heresy. But the other extreme of it is true also. And that would be the poverty gospel. And some people will say, hey, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, then you got to just wear sackcloth and ashes and eat dirt and not even smell fresh, okay? And just suffer for Jesus for the rest of your life. Look, that has nothing to do with the gospel either. That we were saved to walk in freedom and God gives his kids blessings and gifts to enjoy. So listen, husbands, occasionally you got you to take your wife out to Three Forks and you got to get a $50 steak. And why does it cost $50? Because it's $50 good. This ain't the sizzler. You understand? Now, I can't do it all the time, all right? I go broke. So you got to beanie weenies it up for a little while and save up your money. And you go to Three Forks and you eat and you get the bone-in ribeye and you cut into that thing slowly and then you take a bite and then it's supposed to stir in you something. The problem is when you begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts. If your worship terminates on the temporary thing instead of rolling it up into the worship of the one that gave you the thing. And so I eat that steak, and as I chew it up and swallow it, I say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, praise his name, all that is within me, including the bone and ribeye, bless his holy name. Why? Because he has given us these things for us to enjoy. You're supposed to enjoy. I mean, spring break is this week, and us and some friends are, are traveling together, and we're taking our kids to Disney. Now, part of that will be enjoyable, and part of it will be suffering for Jesus. I understand. And that stuff costs money, but man, we do that to enjoy because it's a good, we have a good dad that wants to give us good things. And so, but what really begins to happen, what really begins to happen though, the, the closer and closer you begin to walk with the Lord is that the scorecard begins to change. That the things of this world that, you, that used to just really captivate and capture your attention I'm telling you, the closer and closer and closer you get to Christ, what will begin to happen is your scorecard will begin to change. And you'll want to be able to do a little less of those kind of things so that you can invest more and more and more into the things that last forever. And, and instead of being a consumer and thinking that every time you get more, it's mine, then you'll begin to, to change, I mean, from the inside out and think, wow, every time I get more, this is just an opportunity for me to bless more. To not be a cul-de-sac of God's blessing, but to be a conduit of God's blessing. And that's why he says to enjoy, verse 18, this is the fourth one. They are too, this is rich people. Rich people are to do good and to be rich in good works. So the first thing is don't be proud. The second thing is don't misplace your hope. The third thing is enjoy. And the fourth thing is to do good. Do you realize that if you're rich, then you have an opportunity to leverage that blessing of God to do more than most people in this world have an opportunity to do. Did you know that um, about 2 billion people, so about a third of, of a, the population of this world, they live on about $2 a day. And not you, not me. And so we have the opportunity to do good. And there are some people that are in this church that are good at being rich. In fact, um, if you'll remember, when we went from a service at Beach to a church here, we did the Upon This Rock campaign, and we raised millions and millions of dollars. Do you know, if it wasn't for a few families that are really good at being rich here at the Church of 1122, we couldn't have built out this facility where we meet. We raised millions of dollars, and the way it kind of worked was this. There was about six families or seven families that raised half of it, and then there was about six or seven hundred of us that raised the other half. See, you know what happened is those families were good at being rich. Let me ask you this. 
Are you good at being rich? Are you good at being rich? Because it says right here to do good and be rich in good works. Are you good at being rich? Or let me ask it this way. If you were God, would you give you more money? If you were God, based on your track record, would you give you more money? Because think about that. There are some people in our church, and after I spent some time with them, and as I've gotten to know them and their incredible generosity, you know what I come away thinking? Well, no wonder God made that guy rich. Because he's so faithful with what he's been given. If I was God, I would continuously bless him financially. Because every time he gets blessed financially, he sure does funnel a lot of it towards things of the kingdom and not so much for himself. Could that be said of you? And so, Timothy, whenever you talk to rich people, tell them, don't be proud. Don't misplace their hope. You've got to enjoy these gifts And then in verse 18, they are to do good. So you got to do good things. And then the fifth one, and be generous and ready to share. And be generous and ready to share. Did you ever consider that God may not have given you all the money that you have for you? And that maybe, maybe when God gives you more, the more is not mine. That God actually wants you to be generous and ready to share. And if you get this thing right, if you're abiding with Jesus, then what will happen is what Jesus said will actually become true in your life when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That being an investor in the kingdom will mean more to you than being a consumer of this world. Now, we, generally speaking as a church, are generous. Do you know that we as a church sponsor 3,040 Compassion International kids? 3,040 Compassion International kids. I found out um, that we continue to lead the way in child sponsorship. That means for our size church per capita, we sponsor more kids than any other church in the history of Compassion International. Amen? Isn't that exciting? Now, so when I talk to other pastors and they say, well, we have this many campuses and this many people, I can say, well, you can get back in line because according to the God scorecard of taking care of the least of these, we're like in first place. Now, I'm not saying it's a competition. I'm just saying we're winning. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so we've gotten a taste of what it's like to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Do you know as a church that our church is generous also? That we take 10% of our, our uh, our annual budget and we tithe. That means we take, as a church, we take 10% and we bless and support other ministries that aren't Church of 1122 Ministries. And and in fact, like we support two church plants that are right here in Jacksonville. And one time I had a, a business guy that just didn't get it come up to me and say, why would you support two church plants in Jacksonville? Aren't they the competition? I go, no, 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 no. We're on the same team. The competition's the devil, all right? We're not supporting him at all. We're supporting everybody that's lifting up the name of Jesus. That's what we want to do. And you do that. We do that as a church. Why? Because my family, my own personal family, we we tithe, so we try to give God the first and best, all right? And so then we as a church family do the same thing, not just here in Jacksonville, but literally all over the world. And so Paul says, here's the five bullet points, rich people. You ought to be writing these down. Number one, don't be proud. Number two, don't misplace your hope. Number three, enjoy. Number four, do good. Number five, give more. Verse 19. Thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. In other words, hey, rich people, why don't we act like we're not going to spend forever here on earth? Why don't we actually act like that treasures in heaven are more important than treasures here on earth? Why don't we act like the things here on earth are temporary and the things that are in heaven are forever? And if that's true, and if we actually believe that everybody spends forever somewhere, and if you love Jesus, you're going to spend forever with him in eternity, then wouldn't you invest in that time? Because it's a lot longer than the temporary things of this world. It would be like if you went on spring break this this week, and you went to wherever, and you got a hotel room, and on the first day in the hotel room, you said, you know what this place needs? This place needs hardwood floors and granite countertops. And so you call up Lowe's. Hey, Lowe's, I want you to come in here and I want you to install granite countertops and hardwood floors. Okay, sir, where can we drop off the stuff? Holiday Inn Express. Don't you think the Lowe's guy would say, sir, I don't mean to get in your business, but I don't think that's a wise investment. Well, why not? I'm going to be here for seven days. And for the next seven days, I sure would like to have granite countertops and hardwood floors. I think the dude at Lowe's would be like, I tell you what. 
why don't you invest that in your home where you're going to spend more time instead of your week-long stay at the Holiday Inn Express? That's what Paul is trying to get Timothy to get us to understand. Yes, you enjoy things. Look, if you want granite countertops, get you some granite countertops. But make sure you're not investing all that you have in the temporary things of this world. But you're storing up for yourself (coughs) treasures in heaven. And it's a good foundation for the future. Because you know what's going to happen in heaven? We're going to be face-to-face with Jesus, and he's more than enough. The Bible says in heaven that you'll have a crown, a crown of gold with jewels in it, all right? I don't know if that's literal or figurative. I hope it's figurative. I don't want to walk around with a jewel crown thing, all right? It seems kind of weird. But you know what you're going to do with it? You're going to bow down and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Why? What are you going to do with a crown in heaven? There's nothing to do with it except lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he's more than enough. You know what they do with gold in heaven? I mean, I don't know how it worked, but I just imagine, you know, St. Peter coming up like, what are we going to do with all this shiny stuff? And God goes, I don't know, use it as pavement, all right? We've got so much of it, we'll make streets out of it. It just won't be that big a deal. Why? Because you'll be face-to-face with the one who is more than enough. So we should start acting like it on this side of heaven as if we're actually getting ready to spend forever there. So store up for yourselves treasures in heaven so that they, that's us rich people, so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. Because what we don't want to happen is you've got a money in the bank and no peace in your heart. What we don't want to happen is you've got stuff everywhere and no peace in your heart. And so when he says that we may take hold of that which is truly life, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a certain way to be rich that helps you grow closer to Jesus. Now, there's another way of doing rich where you try to take hold of the things of this world, and then what happens is they actually get their hooks and claws in you. And then you feel like, man, I'm trying to serve two masters. I'm trying to serve God and money. And Jesus says, it's impossible. You can't do that. So are you greedy? I don't know, probably. There's some areas in all of our lives where we're greedy, where we're not satisfied with even more than enough. And so the cure for greed, you ready? The cure for greed is not less stuff. There's some people that have almost nothing that are greedy. There's some people that have a whole lot of stuff and they're very generous. So the cure for greed is not less stuff. It's more Jesus. It's draw closer to him. Abide in him. Draw closer and closer to him. And then you, you can begin to experience the truth that he's more than enough. And so St. Thomas Aquinas said it this way. That greed is a sin against God inasmuch as man condemns things eternal for the sake of temporary things. So early on at the very beginning of the talk, I said that um, greed was hard to identify, but it was easy to do something about. So there's actually a long-term and short-term solution for greed. We'll do the short-term first. Here's the short-term solution. If you think you're greedy, or even if if you think, you know what, there's some things in this world that capture my attention more than I'm comfortable with. If you're not content with the things that you have and you think more of the same things are gonna do something for you, then here's what you do. Then you just identify something in your life, something in your life that you know you don't really need. I mean, you want it, but you don't really need it. And then you just take an opportunity to tell your flesh, no, I'm not going to buy that thing. Do I want it? Sure. Is it bad? No, it's great. But I'm not going to buy that thing. And instead of buying that thing that won't fully and finally satisfy you anyway, you take some money that you were going to spend there, and then you be generous to Jesus. And I'm telling you, in a minute, you can deal with greed just like that. You say no to some temporary thing of this world and you invest in something eternal. Now, how do you do that? How how can you be rich towards God? How can you be generous to Jesus? You can always give to his bride, the church, but I'm not gonna, we're not doing a special offering. There's other ways that you could be generous. I just wanna mention a few um, things that that people in our church have started and if you wanna be generous to them, be generous to them. There's there's a, a, an orphanage in Jamaica that some folks here at the church are starting called Tiny Hope. You can just Google that and write a big fat check to Tiny Hope. It, it'll, it'll begin to deal with your greed problem this week. Um, there's another group of people here in our church that started an organization called Mission Air. They want to they wanna start an airline that, that just takes people on mission trips. So you could, they're raising money. You could give to them. There's a deacon in our church that started a missions organization called SFS Missions. That's Surf, Fish, Serve Missions. Um, you could give to them. 
The, the McKenzie Wilson Foundation, you know, partners with us with a coal refuge. You could give to them. And a part of what you'll do, I'm telling you, it'll do something at the soul level when you tell yourself no, and then you invest in something eternal. But that's just kind of the short-term solution. Long-term is this. You need more Jesus. You just got to get to know him. You got to abide in him. And what will begin to happen is the more and more and more you get to know him, the more and more and more you'll become like him. And guess what? He was a homeless man. He was a homeless man, but not anymore. Now he lives in glory. And you'll begin, to, you'll begin to not invest in the temporary things of this world, but begin to invest more and more and more in the eternal, in the eternal. So um, I used to, you know, I think I've told you before, I'm a recovering Baptist. So one of the things we would do in Baptist church is sometimes, sometimes the worship in our Southern Baptist church would just get crazy, all right? Never on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning Baptist was like suit and tie and choir robes and, you know, do the doxology and just, it was, it was the same. But sometimes on Sunday night, I mean, it would just get crazy. Like the pastor would show up and he wouldn't have a tie on and you'd think, uh-oh, boy. I mean, the spirit's going to move. Now, we didn't call it the spirit. That made us nervous, but you know what I'm saying. He was, it was going to get cool. And he wouldn't preach from the pulpit, you know. He would get down on the floor and talk to us. And then sometimes, I mean, when, it, when the spirit was just thick in that place, he would say, reach your hand across every aisle. And everybody, and I'm not going to ask you to hold hands, all right? That's weird. Some of you single guys are going, dang it, I thought it was my chance, but good luck. <laughs> but sometimes at our church, he'd say, reach your hands across the aisle. We'd reach around, uh, reach across the aisle and grab hands like this. And there was only about one or three, you know, two or three songs that we would that we would close with. But one of my favorites, I mean, when it was really, really going, and I'm not going to sing it because that would just ruin the whole experience, but here were the words. As we would hold hands, and on the second verse, you know, we'd lift them up like that. Now, if you let go, then we had to have a deacon's meeting about charismatic stuff, but it was okay. We'd hold hands like this, and sometimes we'd even do the point to Jesus move. But here was the song. Say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's the cure for greed. When the hooks of this world begin to get into you, when the things that you own begin to own you, the answer, the long-term answer isn't less stuff. The long-term answer is exactly what this old song says, that we're to turn our eyes upon Jesus look full into his wonderful face and then all the stuff of this world, the things of this world the temporary things of this world they'll grow strangely dim your scorecard will begin to change, you will you will begin to believe the words of Jesus that it's more blessed to give than to receive and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace and then you know what will happen? You'll be able to say what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 4. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Well, it's not really that big of a secret anymore. His name's Jesus. And that Jesus is more than enough, is more than enough for you to have that peace or that rest for your soul. So again, not less stuff, but I want you to move from greedy, where it's never enough, to generosity, where it's more blessed to give than to receive. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you demonstrated this. God, that you loved us so much that you gave. You gave your only son. Lord, I pray that at the Church of 1122, God, you would break the chains of greed, that we would set the standard in generosity. As a church and as individuals, God, I thank you and I praise you for some men and women in this place that know how to be rich in a way that glorifies you. And God, I pray that all of us, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that when that temptation of greed and discontentment begins to creep in, God, we wouldn't look to just, um, we wouldn't even look just to downsides. God, we would look to you and you would just change the whole playing field. God, we love you because you first love us. Lord, I, I, I thank you and I praise you for the consistent, generous givers here at this church that goes to expand the kingdom of God. 
Lord, I pray for all the missions organizations, God, that need funding. Lord, I pray that, that you would surround them with generous givers. And God, I thank you so much for what you do in our lives, in our lives, when we decide to trust you and not the temporary things of this world. God, would you break the chains? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we respond to the gospel every week, and we respond in worship. One of the ways we worship, so we, if you're a regular here, we bring our tithes and offerings to the giving boxes all around the room or the giving kiosk back there. We respond in worship by joining our voices together. Today we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer together. And, we, and we, we respond in worship by coming down to the altar and laying some of those temporary temptations and struggles at the altar, knowing that Christ has, has defeated them on your behalf. Let us respond.